It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, Charles, you mean Bond. Sorry, Ortel. <laughs> Charles Ortel. You know, Charles, things are changing so rapidly, minute to minute, here in New York City. Uh, it's possible by the end of this broadcast, you might be moving in for the next two months. Will I have to pay rent? <laughs> Apparently not. Other YouTubers who, uh, you know, occupy the couch never have to do that. Uh, so I hope we don't get... Um, quarantined or what is it that the mayor lockdown. is talking about lockdown well it, it is i i was around the city i mean just coming up here and then last night i went uh, actually to a part of the city i've never been to before long island city huh and uh just anecdotally it's just me wandering around it seems sure seems as if activity is way way lower i noticed actually just now and i Read, read about it, and I was here on September 11th, 2001, and I remember that the the noise level in the city dropped a lot when planes stopped flying over the city. And I, I, I've, I've read now that flights have been canceled maybe already, and certainly with effect from Monday, long, a lot of long-haul international flights that take off and make big noise and circle around the city. Those aren't happening right now, and... Uh, it's very difficult to predict what, what might happen next. But one thing we can say is that this panic and the hysteria and the politicization of it is just reprehensible. I mean, you know, the people, uh, the Brian Stelter, the idiot at CNN and others like him, or, you know, they want to manufacture something in the news stream that, that will make Trump not do well. And I guess they figured out that if we have a financial panic and a, you know, human health crisis panic and people start having anxiety attacks over all this, that that may cascade into a set of uh, circumstances where financial markets would tank and people would begin to lose confidence in the administration. And I mean, to go down that path instead of thinking clinically about the history of these types of viruses, the relative preparedness of the United States compared to other countries uh, to handle these type of shock events, uh, the, the reporting so far that I've seen, and Trump actually characterized it as being fair, I think it's grossly irresponsible, the reporting that I've seen. I agree with you, Charles. I really, I really don't believe much of anything that we're being told about this crony virus. I think there's something going on, but we haven't been told the truth about it. And I've been walking around New York City. I think a lot of people have seen. I've been checking out just kind of getting the pulse of people on the street. The hot dog vendors say nobody's buying anything. I went to Monty's last night. It was empty. 
And Peter, the owner, told me that they're going to probably close it for a few weeks because he's just got waiters standing around, food that's going to go bad. They're going to lose money. Now, that restaurant's in a rare uh, position in that the family has owned the building that it's in for a lot of years. But most other restaurants in New York City are renting their spaces. And it's the type of business where, you know, even if your restaurant loses popularity for a little while and isn't full all the time, you go out pretty quickly. So I don't know what's going to happen to some of these places, Charles. A lot of these small businesses, a lot of independent business people in New York City are already being hit very hard. Well, yeah, and then we have March 17th is uh, St. Patrick's Day where they've canceled the parade. Typically, that's an excuse for people to pour Throw into New York and start throwing up at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but uh, so bars you know, face the loss of traffic for that. Politicians are now in both parties. Ted Cruz and AOC have gotten together on a public service announcement saying it's irresponsible to go out to restaurants and drink. This is what days after, or to eat and drink. This is days after AOC, you know, very earnestly told us that you're a racist if you won't go to a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. I mean, <laughs> oh boy. AOC, <clears throat> I don't know, Charles. I don't know what's going to happen. This is an unprecedented situation. I mean, we've had 9-11, which was jaw-dropping, and that was like, no idea what to do. Two years after that, we had the... Uh, that blackout that lasted for like two weeks. Was it only two years after? I thought even it was 2003. Which black? Are you talking about the Chinese one? No, this was where idiot Bush said, we have no idea what caused oh, it. Yeah, it was that... definitely not terrorism. Right. And, and then they uh, basically just decided that somehow everything from Ohio to New York had been shut down by a fire, but it was definitely not terrorism. And they didn't know what it was. Was that before a re-election campaign in 2004? Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought you were all... Then we also had Hurricanes and Sandy, was it, in, in 2012? I was in L.A. for that. So I, but you're right. This is We're sort of running through the litany of extreme circumstances for New Yorkers. I, I escaped that one by being in L.A., while it occurred, but my brother was sending me pictures of people in canoes on yeah. Fifth Avenue and stuff like that. Now there's nobody on Fifth Avenue, so get a canoe and do what you That's want. Right. And uh, of course, it was underreported, but there's a swarm, a mammoth swarm of locusts traipsing across Africa, destroying farmland, destroying all kinds of living in Africa. So yeah, there are all kinds of problems. The important thing when is... When will the firstborn be smitten? I don't know. The important thing is, as we try to consider approaches, attacks that could be taken here, is, to, is to, not just because I like numbers, is to go and focus on what is the historical pattern seen in these types of afflictions. Is it, is it uh, when we hear that there are 58 cases or even 158 cases eventually soon in New York, how many People die of flu and flu season in New York. And when we talk about New York, are we talking about, we're certainly not talking about narrowly Manhattan only. Are we talking about the metropolitan uh, SMSA around New York? And if so, we're into the 20, 30 million people area. So, you know, when you have something like this happen, you should expect there are going to be a lot of problems. Yeah. And, and then as, um, I'm again, no medical expert, but, but, uh, Oftentimes, as you age, it's, it's not one thing that puts you 
that ends your life. It's a series of things that are interconnected and maybe this factor pushes you over the edge, but it's not simply this factor. So to really think it's, I know in the case of my own mother, that was, there was a debate as to what actually caused, caused her it. passing. It was a, mm. a series of things. And some, one set of doctors basically said, we're not sure. You know, it could have been this. That's the honest set. Yeah, it could have been this <laughs> and it could have been that. And uh, it might have been all three of them. But, you and know. people get frustrated by that. I don't think they realize the subtlety of doctoring. They figure, oh, well, you're in the hospital. How could the person die? That must be your fault. It's like, hey, it's not like replacing the spark plug in a Ford. We sometimes try stuff and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you remember the Faulty Towers episode where Basil's wife is in the hospital and the doctor who shows up, scares the living crap out of the wife, and Basil Faulty is very happy about it. I mean, with any profession, you have to remember that there's a bottom half of every class. And so there are a lot of doctors who, uh, even doctors in the case of my ex-wife, I mean, we, we had, she had phenomenal care. And the first set of people, at, I won't harsh on this particular hospital group, but this very famous one, I mean, they were clueless. They, they literally would tell us, you know, it's this. And if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you know, then she's going to die immediately. And then like two hours later, actually, it's this. <laughs> Something very different. And if you had done what we recommended two hours ago, she we would have definitely killed her. I mean, right. it was just, oh my God. you go through a few of those and you say, you know what, I think uh, we're going to switch. So they switched to a better one, which I will mention, Sloan Kettering. And uh, they, they extended... Uh, in her case, they extended her life yeah. a year beyond, more than a year beyond the estimate, the, the outside best case. So, you know, good doctors make a big difference. And Charles Patricia Stone is reminding us that President Trump's coronavirus test came back negative. And I'm very glad because when he announced last night or whenever there was a press conference where some smart alecky press person tried to corner him on this, and I remember thinking to myself, oh no. Whatever he does now, if he takes the test, people will complain, oh, why does Trump get the test and all these other people can't right. get tests? Then they're going to say, oh, he has coronavirus. He's unfit to be president. we got to get him out of there. <laughs> I, I just was like, How, what's the upside on the Trump coronavirus test? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's... <laughs> but he was negative for coronavirus. I don't know. I, I Trump could eat like a bucket of Kentucky Fried Coronavirus and just be like, yeah, <laughs> Make it tastes a pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, unfortunately, here in New York, and particularly in Manhattan, it seems like our mayor, I refer to him as Mayor Wilhelm. I think that's his original name. Is he then took the name De Blasio? Um, is seems determined to just punish as many people as possible. The richer you are, the more he wants to punish you. So the policy of of uh, having garbage collected in a haphazard. Uh, manner so crap is all over the street then it attracts rats and those go into the subway and then it warms up and now you're gonna uh, Cuomo has de determined that the appropriate way to deal with this is to shut the capacity <laughs> shut the capacity of all restaurants by 50 percent to yeah. encourage fewer people to great go great idea if you yeah. own a restaurant yeah and, and meanwhile he's bragging about manufacturing uh, the required 
sanitizer using prison labor at, I think, 65 cents an hour, which is a separate subject. Excellent. That was only available to the politicians, not to the general <laughs> public. <laughs> so wait a minute. Hand sanitizer for politicians made by prison criminals. labor. Yeah, I mean, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong with that? Let's have a bunch of uh, criminals create some sanitary product. Right. And There's only no pay him 65 cents an hour. I mean, that, that, just on the sidebar there, it seems to me that, you know, prison is obviously a place you don't want to go. But if your goal ultimately is to rehabilitate prisoners, you'd yeah. like to figure a way for them to leave the prison, contrib- having contributed to society, having figured out how to get back on a straight path, maybe with some money having been made in prison at fair rates. You know, if it's, if it's, if we demand a $12 or $20 or whatever it is minimum wage, how the hell is Cuomo Justifying paying prisoners 65 cents an hour. It's interesting that you raise that point, Charles, because we just did an interview on Thursday with uh, Charlie Robinson and Freeway Ricky Ross, who people might remember Freeway Ricky Ross is the guy who was basically the conduit for all the cocaine that the CIA was bringing from, you know, Iran-Contra back into the U.S., through Mena, Arkansas, and what I did not know about Freeway Ricky Ross is that he was illiterate when he went into prison, learned how to read, and by the time he left prison, he was reading law books and writing his own legal stuff. The guy had a life sentence that he uh, got worked down, and they let him out for good behavior, and now he's an advocate for rehabilitating people in prison, which I think you're right, is extremely important, just putting people in a place where you get, like, beaten up, raped, and addicted to drugs, doesn't sound like it's going to help anything. <laughs> no, no. Worse than the death penalty, actually. But mm-hmm. with that, Charles, we could rattle on all day, I'm sure. You've got another one of well, your... I wanted to congratulate the art department. Oh, well, thank I mean, you. It's, let's, it's, it's, let's do that. Yet another tour de force presentation there. Somehow you managed to find a picture that makes me look halfway good. So I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate that. Um, I love the composition of this picture, and it's, uh, I may not be the secret agent here, but this is, I think, what we've been doing together with you, you and I, and with a large and expanding group of crowdsourcers um, and other allies around the world, is to take up the mantle or take up the reins or whatever the right phrase is, and, and try to push uh, by moving or changing the direction of the ocean of public opinion, push folks to go back and examine the root causes of the problems here, to understand what was motivating Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and others, and the Bush family and others, uh, what track were they going down? Why are they so fearful of Donald Trump? It has little to do even with events like Alexander Downer's foolish effort to try to entrap Papadopoulos and others. It goes way back well, to Maine, Arkansas, and maybe before that, there's a long-standing struggle here between patriots who understand that in this day and age, even with all the advances in technology that we have, patriots get that there is no international system that is going to govern anything effectively. If the building blocks, starting with people and families and communities and cities and states and, and nations, if those building blocks are not governed responsibly, then you, there's, it's a hopeless exercise to think that you're going to marry up 200 nations on this planet uh, with varying views on all sorts of critical issues 
and devise some sort of you know worldly wise expert who's going to pull the strings of each of us and set us marching constructively along in the right direction. So there's a there's a big contest, a burgeoning contest between people who are really outside the system um, saying, no wait, let's let's embrace nationalism and let's embrace the particular strengths of our individual nations and try to work to redress the weaknesses of our individual nations. Let's let's get people focused on that if they have time left over after focusing on themselves and their families. And let's ignore these pinheads who typically live in Switzerland um, and operate or, or here in New York with the UN, operate and try to give us all sorts of ideas that are never effectively vetted while they reach into our pockets to get tens of billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars for their crooked schemes and enrich their families and friends. I mean, that's the battle that's been going on here. And it's been going on not starting in 2015 when Trump walked down the escalator. It's been going on for longer than that. I agree. You think 1987, 1988? I, I think 1963. Yeah, or probably it's 45. Yeah. 18 something, but who knows? 76, 17. <laughs> but anyways. 1776 might be right, actually. David Hawkins uh, tells me often that Phi Beta Kappa and Kappa Beta Phi were both created in 1776. Oh, is that right? I don't think Phi, I don't think Phi Beta Kappa might have been, but I don't. Phi Beta Kappa maybe Kappa Beta Phi was maybe much later, later. Yeah, maybe good. later. But uh, yeah. Phi Beta Kappa it's, is the real one. Kappa right. Beta Phi is the Wilbur Ross one. Right, right, right. Yeah, Phi Beta Kappa. Yeah, seventeen seventy six. But the art department deserves another uh, standing ovation here, and I'm sure the book project is moving along eventually, but this is certainly a candidate to go into that book project. It's one for the books, Charles. It's one for the, and it's not the first time that we've done, uh, or that you've done, I'd say, Bond. Uh, we. Well, I mean, you were the one who concocted this beautiful... Uh, Couldn't do it without you, Charles. You're yeah. the star of the Bond show, and with that, this well, lot. Yeah, so... Um, Unregulated globalism, people have heard me talk about that forever. I think now we're going to start referring to it as goofballism, because that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, you hear these people, take Joe Biden, we're going to harsh on him in a little bit. I mean, you get somebody who gets trotted out there, whether it's Hillary or Bill or Obama or Bush or whatever, and they're, they're speaking on behalf of the all-knowing globalists. And... People, even people like Jason and like me, if you, if I'm sure if we met a president of the United States or somebody high and mighty from one of these internationalist organizations, we'd give them the benefit of the doubt initially. You'd say, I mean, well... President you know, of the United States... Maybe, yeah. None of the existing ones except for Donald Trump. <laughs> well, but if somebody, if, if somebody came in with uh, the case of... Let's go back to Obama. You know, Obama walks in... Obama walks through that door... And this is not the beginning of a joke, but Obama walks through that door, and you know, back when he was president, with a duck on his head, he said, "What's what's with this?" <laughs> and no, the duck and says, a parrot, "And a parrot over here." No, no. Obama walks in the door with the, you know, with a, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he brings in you know fifteen assistants, and he sits down. And he says, "Look, you guys, you know, you're all wet on this stuff." Here's the proof that this happened. Here's the proof that that happened. Here's something else and something else. Initially, you might say, well, okay, the president's taking time out of his busy day to barge into HQ here. He's given us all this information. 
you know, let's at least read it, you know, or let's at least read a summary of it to give them the benefit of the doubt. So you, the problem is when people and those authority figures decide that they're going to just straight up embrace corruption and fraud, they have the ability to project around the world instantly a whole bunch of lies. Mm-hmm. And now your task is not simply debating the liars. It's also going to people to get them interested and in saying, you know, you've been told a pack of lies for 31 years. And initially people say, Charles, come on, you got something better Yeah, they better don't believe to, it. you got something better to do, would you? I mean, you know, but if you're right, then the entire world is a fraud. And wow. Yeah. yeah. And then they get angry. Right, exactly. Because they're like, you must be crazy. (laughs) There's no way. Exactly. (laughs) And then you get proven correct. And then it When does that happen? Because I'm still waiting for that part. Well, GE, I've certainly been proven correct on that. You you have. Right. I'm still waiting. Yeah. But uh, so so on this one, um, we are now in this moment. We talked a little bit about coronavirus and its impact. The real story that I think we're going to get into now is a compare and contrast the state of the U.S. health system, the investment in the U.S. US health systems, uh, versus the state of play in many countries that have been recipients, in some cases of hundreds of billions of dollars over time, uh, which was meant, in theory, to strengthen their health system. So the, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. If we're all connected globally, and you've got a, a virus like this that starts wherever it may have started, the second it spreads to places like Africa, portions of Africa where there's no clean water, there in many of the places there's no clean sanitation, there's not enough electricity, the roads are no good, or they're not very good, uh, and you have people packed into these urban, some urban settings, and these things can just, you know, explode, and all it takes is for one traveler, either heading from Europe down there or from uh, down there, uh, you know, back into Europe and the United States, and you have an uncontrollable mess. Um, and so the real que- a question that we should be asking here is not, you know, is this a referendum on Donald Trump in America? We're probably going to do better in this country because of the diets of our people, even though uh, we you know, criticize people who eat what we eat. But most Americans are either fit or overweight. You're not dealing with a population that is malnourished right. um, and therefore even more susceptible to these type of uh, illnesses. And so I, I hope, you know, if we assume a worst case that this is really bad and you know, whoever has been barking up the tree saying it's really bad, I believe that in the end we're going to get harmed less. We're all going to get harmed, but we'll be harmed less than you know, pity the people of Ethiopia where, just to pick for a second on the, the head of the World Health Organization, who happens to be Ethiopian. You know, the first thing he did huh. is get the freak out of Ethiopia to Switzerland. Really? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that, that, it, you can't criticize people for that. I mean, if you're well, an educated I mean, person and you got a medical degree and you grew up, I'm not saying he grew up poor, but if you grew up in the poor nation of Ethiopia, and on the one hand, you have the opportunity of going back to, you know, live adjacent to this tree on top of a mountain somewhere where there's 16 other goats, and, and you're going to make, you know, nothing because your patients can't pay anything. Alternatively, you can go live in Chicago with right. a whole bunch of other Ethiopian doctors or whatever. There are apparently more in Chicago than there are in Ethiopia. Definitely in D.C. there's more Ethiopians. Well, it, it makes sense. I mean, you can't criticize people for wanting to do that. 
And, and, and therein lies the essential problem. We have the, these pleasure palaces around Geneva, where the World Health Organization is, and all these organizations that sound very similar are administered within World Health Organization. Those people are real happy to be in Geneva, which I like. It's a lovely city. But, you know, why the hell, or put it slightly differently, why the freak haven't we done something to help, if we're going to try to help, the health systems in these particularly vulnerable countries. Why? What happened to all that aid? Where's the accounting for all that aid? Which is at the essence of our criticism of the Clinton Foundation. You know, the Clinton Foundation was supposed to be taking care of people in Little Rock, actually taking care of the records. We're not even sure that all the records of the Clinton presidency are in Little Rock. <laughs> but they're supposed to do that. And instead of doing that, the second bill could get his um, tail outside of the White House he then began the process, evidently, of chasing Taylor around the world uh, and, <laughs> and trying to do it under the guise of, first it was fighting HIV-AIDS, then it was climate change, then it was convening this and convening that. And, you know, so when we go back, we say, we're in this amazing mess. We have this virus, it's, cases are skyrocketing. We don't yet know relative to the size of the population how serious it is yet. But um, we should be asking, and we will be asking ourselves, okay, what exactly was Bill Clinton doing taking money from governments without the authority, without any legal authority to do this, to, quote, strengthen the health systems of all these countries that are about as strong as a wreck. Simple. It's called getting paid. That's right. That's what he was doing. That's right. You know, Charles, it's interesting because I think a lot of people saw this morning my walk around. I went up to Times Square and I went over to Grand Central Station to just observe the reduction in the crowds. And also, you sent me that article yesterday from NBC News about Apple closing all their stores outside of China. It was so oddly worded, like why didn't it say Apple is closing all its stores worldwide? Because outside of China, and then the first thing it was talking about was mainland China, and I was very confused. So I went over there, it was closed. The Apple stores are all closed. That's pretty amazing. What are you gonna do? Well, I mean, I didn't need to buy anything. I just went there. But the thing is, when I was coming back, I turned off the camera and then I saw two guys parked in an ambulance. And I went over to the thing and they rolled down the window and I asked them, have you guys had any coronavirus patients? And they said, no. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, where are all these coronavirus patients, yeah. Charles? I don't know anyone who knows anyone who has coronavirus. We're just hearing vague stories. Somebody from Italy sent this person an email. Sean Atwood was reporting this morning that one of his viewers from Italy sent an email that that person's mother was a medical worker. And it's like, this is very far removed. Right. I asked an ambulance guy, EMT in New York City, parked on 34th Street in Manhattan. That's like, boom. Yeah, that's, yeah the center Where are they? Where are all these coronavirus victims? Yeah. I, I, I sadly, I you know, I'm sure there more will present themselves. Um, I, you know, some of the reassuring stuff is found first of all in the data that we're seeing so far shows that an overwhelming majority of people recover. Yeah, and it's apparently the symptoms are worse than a typical flu. But I, I don't know about you, Jason, but I get flu every year. I haven't gotten the flu since I was a kid. It's all these sausage McMuffins you're eating, Charles. <laughs> if I didn't in eat there. those, I would get more yeah. instances of the flu. Well, now, so, but what's what's the story? Like, oh, the other thing that I did not document before I turned on the camera, I was walking by 21st Century 3D's old office on 35th and 8th, 
and there's a gigantic, I think it used to be Staples, but now it's Taco Bell right across the street. And uh, it looked new. It had a sign that said, like, you can't come in. It's only takeout food from Taco Bell. And then you told me that Starbucks is doing that on Monday. Well, apparently across America, across New York anyway, that you will not be able to sit in Starbucks. You just can go in and, and leave. I, I mean, it used to be anybody at all could piss in there. Now you can't even <laughs> stay. Get out. <laughs> it's quite a reversal of policy, Charles. Yeah. Well, and they've changed. Uh, they used to have these uh, stations where they had uh, sugar and creamer and cream and this and that. And they've taken all that stuff away. Hmm. Um, and and definitely the uh, the number of people in these in these Starbucks and McDonald's and other places is way way under. Yeah. So uh, back then though on this on what we're going to talk about today this golden lie goofballism that's been sold to everybody and blessed <clears throat> by all these conflicted academics at the educational institutions that are charities um, at the think tanks at the uh, people are spewing out praise and have been spewing Spew. out praise. Yeah. of unregulated globalism because it's great for them. It's great for the Harvards and Yales and Columbia's and NYU. You get many more students, you get many more application fees, you put the you have the same number of places, so you have much more demand for your what whatever you're selling but in in by way of your degree programs. You've got a lot more people interested in bribing the admissions committee by making bigger donations to the endowments that so get fatter and fatter and fatter. And uh, you also have the opportunity for your professors and students to travel around the world instead of being locked down in a place like, you know, Kenyon College in middle Ohio. You can go all over the place. You have campuses all over the sister campuses all over the world. Yeah. You know, NYU had one in Singapore. But then somehow they don't have it anymore. I went to that place and I was amazed at how... I forget what happened, but I remember being shocked by the story that they just basically abandoned it. I think it has something to do with Singapore's authoritarian rule. They're like, that's a nice college. We'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Abu Dhabi has done the same thing. And, and Why would Yale you has build prog- something there? Yale and Harvard and other places have programs all over the place and also encourage people to come into their respective campuses. And, and, uh, Camp Pi. Camp Pi, exactly. And... And there hasn't been, used to be in theory, that you, the reason you gave an educational institution tax exemption is you were encouraging critical thinking that you mm-hmm. might not get in the profit-seeking world outside these educational campuses. And that's why, now that critical thinking, there's no such thing on these campuses. They're all, and I, I get reports from friends. That, Communist thinking, did you say? Yeah, it's all indoctrination. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you get there the first day, the good news is, if your parents, if you're a man, your parents said, you're going to have to shave? No, no. You're not going to shave. Uh, you're not going to bathe. You're going to wear these stupid woolen hats that they wear and these crazy clothes. And, and all you're going to do is have shit fits and conniptions about Trump. That's what you're going to do. You're going to complain about everything. <laughs> I think they order in food and weed and stuff like that. There's other things that happen at college. But it, it's, not, it's not as it used to be. It's not that there's only one view. I mean, actually, when I went to college, there was people talked about neo-colonialism and tried to, be, to argue that, that uh, what was going on in the 70s and early 80s was just about uh, reversing the change of letting these nations become independent and creating a whole bunch of dependent neo-colonies. And yes, you had to listen to these crazy people talk about Marxist, the Marxist perspective on this and the Marxist perspective on that. But in the main, American universities at that time, from my memory, 
we're pro-American. Yeah, no you know, and we were fighting a cold war on right. multiple fronts with the Soviet Union, with China, etc. We weren't embracing uh, top-down authoritarian rule where some pinhead is going to tell you how to live your life, which is what they want now. What about the murderers? I mean, uh, Lee Stranahan, we did an episode of High Dive with Lee Stranahan on Wednesday that people can see on Patreon and Subscribestar, and Lee was talking about, I forget the guy's name, the ex-Black Panther, who's now like the dean of some college, and Angela Davis is a professor uh, emeritus at... uh, UC Santa Cruz. My cousin went to UC Santa Cruz. I asked him, he said she was a professor there when he was there, but he didn't get to meet her or take classes with her. And I was like, you know, she's an accomplice to murder, right? Right. And he didn't respond <laughs> yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, but you, you go when you, I, I remember from my days long ago at Yale and at Harvard that, that you go there as a student and you're in this cocoon. You know, every, you have this, uh, Retention, everything is great. Uh, the professors, the tenured professors don't have to work and they do what they want and it's a privilege to get 30 seconds to talk to these people. And, um, you know, this, this is an artificial world they've lived in and it's yeah. crafted for the rest of us an experiment that is going badly, badly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Trump is trying to do something about it. I think Boris Johnson may be trying to do something about the UK. About colleges? About getting rid of unregulated globalism because it doesn't work. It's an ah. expensive project yeah. that doesn't make any freaking sense. And uh, instead, returning focus to what the nations that you are responsible for and the communities that you're responsible for. We don't need... I mean, every time there's a crisis here in New York City, I mean, I hats are off to the first responders, but I, if I, I see another group of, you know, 35 people standing at a lecture and with some... You know, sign language guy going like this, and a woman on the side, <laughs> Garrett Morris. Yeah, exactly. the top story tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there, I, you know, I have great sympathy for people who are deaf, and but uh, it's just it's, they sit, get up there, and they all congratulate each other. It's like, yeah, I want to say that it's such a pleasure to work so closely with this person who's working with that person. The city is burning down behind you. Yeah. <laughs> you can stop the press conference now. You know, it's just, anyway. Uh, so these people, and it's an alliance of people in corporate-owned media and academia and investment firms and consulting firms and law firms and accounting firms, rich donors, rich people generally have been trying to foist this unregulated globalism on us, hmm. which, which therefore puts uh, renders the national regulatory apparatus in all these different co- countries unable to deal with the problem because it's neutered. Um, and put this superstructure over us all, uh, whether we're here in America, they're desperately, I think Barack Obama and George W. Bush and other presidents before were desperate to get the United States to agree that we would submit to international law uh, as administered by who knows what, because there's no real strict definition of what uh, international law means, uh, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to the law of 200 nations at once. Uh, so they were trying to basically sell, uh, in fact, I would argue, all of us here in this country, not with the coronavirus, but with the virus <laughs> of goofballism. And they needed to find malleable grifters to do it with. And who do they pick? They picked uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, then W. Bush, Barack Obama, 
And they knew during the campaign trail, they were desperate to have, I think, Yeb be the person go out to, to lose to Hillary Clinton. They were sure, they were sure in my mind that they had rigged this thing in 2015 and 16 and they, they felt certain. Do you remember how pissed Yeb got? When he, he was, was you will never be president. Yeah, and Trump was like, yeah, about <laughs> that. <laughs> so, and on that subject, you know, we have not done a special show yet as far as, as I remember on the Katrina experience. People are trying to say that this is Trump's Katrina. They don't say that. They say it's Trump's 9-11. On the subject of Katrina, we will have a lot to say about just how poorly uh, the Bush administration and Bill Clinton uh, perpetrated a fraud on the, the entire world with their Bush-Clinton-Katrina Foundation. We haven't gone into the depth that we will go into it on that one, but you know, throwing that stuff around now, when I see Donald Trump's administration moving swiftly to try to, to blunt the impact of this latest thing, remember that we now are learning the first instance of patient one or patient zero is supposedly a case that may have come in around November 17th, November 19th last year. What was going on November 17th, November 19th last year? Washington, D.C. and the corporate-owned media and academia and everybody were trying to impeach Donald Trump. That's what was going on. Right, so nobody was paying attention to coronavirus people entering. I mean, I don't know. To me, Charles, who patient zero was is less important than what was going on with this Chinese woman who was arrested, who was escorted out of the level four uh, bio lab in Canada she was escorted out by the RCMP. That was in 2019, months ago. We had a show on uh, Friday, John Collins' Las Vegas investigation. John was pointing out that some YouTubers, alternative news personalities, Zero Hedge and Stefan Molyneux kicked off of Twitter for just saying, what happened to this lady? What's going on with the investigation? That seems highly relevant to what's going on right now, and they're not telling us anything about that. Well, what about the Chinese lady who tried to break into Mar-a-Lago? What was she really doing? I don't know. No, we don't know yet. But did she have coronavirus Again, with her? we don't. I mean, I think any time... Uh, my understanding is that it's very difficult to get in and have a physical meeting with the President of the United States, whether it's Trump, Obama... Bush or whatever. I mean, there's a whole protocol you've got to go through with my understanding. I could be wrong, but... Breaking into their golf club, I think, is not part of the protocol. No, that's probably <laughs> that's not probably the swiftest. Outside that's not the swiftest practice. approach. Yeah. yeah. You know, crashing a church ceremony. I, I, I don't think you can get anywhere near uh, a president unless they want to let you near him, but uh, right. I may be wrong. Anyway, so uh, with that, Jason, maybe we should jump into the balance of the slides. We have some special new information to share mm. uh, for the people who are new to the way we do this. This is a collaborative effort that began in June of 2017 between Jason and me. And we try to marry up Jason's profound skills with video and media and technology to give you uh, presentations that are, we hope, interesting, uh, but also benefit from my experience dealing on complex transactions and matters in, in the investment, financial, geopolitics, and economic sphere. So we have these pull-down slides that folks can look at. Some people tell me they'd like to watch the presentation twice, hmm. and they, they pull the slides down, and they make notes on them as, as we're talking, and then they go back over them and think about it again. That's wow. actually how I learn. I try to do the same sort of thing. 
And uh, we are encouraging people here to think and to, to look at the facts that we, we show you. If you agree <clears throat> that what we're providing is interesting, of course, we, I would encourage you to support Jason's uh, various efforts financially, because um, I'll let you talk about that, Jason. But uh, thank you. But I think that's important. If uh, nobody does stuff for free forever, and uh, Jason does as spends a tremendous amount of money, frankly, on getting this all up and running and and uh, working properly, and then upgrading to get us better and better sound and and, and picture. So um, a worthwhile cause. And uh, as you look through the materials that we present here. Remember, we're, we're chiefly finding stuff in the public domain, providing you links to what is in the public domain. And then I suppose I would like it if people would just say, yeah, Charles said this, so I agree with it. But really, I want it more than that. I, I want people to consider what we're saying, maybe think that it's wrong, then look for yourself. And then if you determine that what we said is wrong, please get in touch to us with us, either on my site or by following me on, or Jason on Twitter. Um, and when we make mistakes, because everybody does make mistakes, we try to correct them and learn from them. Uh, but on the other hand, if you determine that much of what we say is accurate, it's really helpful to get what we're doing out to your close circle, whether they be uh, engaged in the process of re removing the scourge of unregulated globalism, or even if they are acolytes of unregulated globalism, get in touch with them. Say, hey, have you ever taken a look at these podcasts these guys are doing, the special presentations? I mean, what, give us some evidence that unregulated globalism has really worked well since 1988 or 1963 or 1945. Let's see the proof of that. Yeah. Because these guys are saying the opposite. Right. And, uh, you know, Charles, we've also put together, as we discuss each week, this playlist that allows people who are just joining us, who maybe haven't seen all of the shows, they can catch up and follow every episode of Sunday with Charles, as well as our Wednesday show, Charles Ortel is closing in. 37,000 views of the playlist alone, Charles. Today is our 217th episode, and as we always remind people, virtually every episode comes with one of your uh, PDF presentations. I don't know why the Zoom is freaking out there, but uh, people can access those presentations by just scrolling down below the video. There's always a little video description here that I'm frequently trying to make uh, clever. And if you click on the words that say show more, it's going to expand down, give you access to all the sponsorship links. And also this link, which says download Charles's presentation, you click on that, you're going to be presented with a PDF that you can either view on screen or download to your own computer where you can print it out, follow along, as Charles said, watch it two or three times. Everybody's going to be sequestered in their homes now. So it's a good time to catch up on every single episode of Sunday with Charles that perhaps you've missed over the past two and a half years. <laughs> But uh, honestly, Jason, hats off to you. I mean, it's a large amount of work to even just do the playlist, let alone all the, uh, the video work that you've done and the, every one of the posters. And thank you for that. 
Thank you, Charles. And I forgot to mention that Sunday with Charles and Charles Ortel is closing in are both now available as audio-only podcasts. And while I've been working through some of the audio processing stuff here to get our mics, people don't realize how complicated it is to have active noise canceling in the same room on two separate mics and have it not make any problems. My friend at Bose said, you can't even do it with one mic. So we're working really well today, and the live streaming of the podcast will resume soon. I've just been posting them afterwards. So people who want to listen on iTunes or Spreaker or Spotify or Google Podcasts or iHeartRadio, we're on all of those things, and you can listen in your car and your I don't think people have iPods anymore, but it's still a podcast, and people can still listen to it wherever podcasts are heard. Well, they can also listen here in Manhattan when they get on their electric scooters, and they can put the, you know, the listen oh, on their headphones. John Glasgow is right. I forgot to post the link to the slides today because the slides came in as I was out doing the walk around. I will post the link right after the show. I apologize to That's the viewers. That's quite all right. That's quite all right. So. Um, John Solomon has this new site called Just the News, and he has uh, got quite an impressive list of people who are, are posting, writing for him, one of whom is Cheryl Ackeson. And she, in this first, uh, if we could hit that link possibly, Jason, in this first piece, um, this is a lengthy piece that goes through in some considerable detail an analysis of the known debt at the time she wrote this. It was 48, I think now it's 58 or higher. But what Who's you see, giving us that number, Charles? I don't know. Where are these 48 people? Well, she goes through it in this article. That's the point of the piece. And she, huh. she takes you through the fact that a large number of them are in a specific portion of Washington State at a specific facility. Uh, and she, there's a lot of information here. So before people start running around like a spinning top, uh, changing their lives uh, you know, for the, for the worse, maybe... Uh, you need to, we really need to think this through carefully. A large number of these people have passed away. There are some, you know, a guy in his 40s with underlying health conditions died, but most of the people who appear to have passed so far are quite elderly and have other health conditions. So, um, it's, you know, I, I look at this and do I feel bad for this? Of course I do, but it's not, to me, something that it induces panic, and I'm 64. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I'd be cautious. I'm not, I'm not going to go, I don't think, uh, leave here and go to Grand Central Station and hang out with the bums. But uh, <laughs> You'll go to Starbucks and hang out with those bums. <laughs> no, because there at least you could a little bit further away. I mean, I don't want to be you know, sitting there tricky on, and down in the mezzan- downstairs in that food court where uh, Lady Gaga's father is refusing to pay the, the uh, rent. What's that? Lady Gaga's father has one of those concessions down in the food court. And the conditions are so bad, worse so bad before all of this with, you know, I don't even want to describe what it is, but just gross behavior down there that he's notified his landlord he's not paying the rent. Wow. I'm surprised that Lady Gaga's father has to work at all. Isn't she like a billionaire from all the meat dress and all the crazy? Where do you think the meat dress comes? From the restaurant. (laughs) Right. Can't sell it. Let her wear it. (laughs) (laughs) It's leftovers. So um, here's another story from from Fox News. Uh, uh Uh-oh. Something has gone wrong. That's weird. What was it supposed to be? The the title of the story was Coronavirus Survivor Don't Panic. And, and, you know, 
They don't want anybody to not panic, so they have to take that That's away. That's really interesting. This this link was good, you know, an hour ago. Hang on, let's see. But it, it comes at a time where I guess Trish Reagan. We don't have a link to that, but Trish Reagan uh, was a Fox Business host was bumped off the air. Uh, hmm, that's really interesting. They don't want you to not panic, Charles. Yeah. Interesting is right. No, yeah. but it just that it would move this quickly, and also illustrating the power of Google. Right to, yes. to decide that a story that doesn't need to be seen gets taken off the air, and that's it. We've got someone telling us that they're a registered nurse, and when working LTC, I don't know what that long-term is. Long-term care. We have fall, winter deaths all the time. Two years ago, we had fourteen die in a facility of eighty-four. Yeah, yeah, it's quite common. I mean, so it's, and you have to remember, there's a curve as you age. Um, there's a higher and higher vulnerability to certain types of, of diseases. So, um, again, it's not out of a lack of compassion. I think uh, we're all, I like to think the people I associate with are compassionate people, but you can whip yourself into a frenzy and do, do stupid things that actually cause your own downfall uh, as opposed to you know thinking critically and looking at the evidence that's out there. There are a lot of people in New York City um, there are a lot of sick people in New York City. There are a lot of people who have diseases perhaps worse than coronavirus. Right. And they're walking around in the street. They're and going they, to McDonald's for breakfast. No, they, t- they typically go to Whole Foods in the kombucha yeah, section. Exactly. It's the I antidote. See, I see them over there in the back. <laughs> but, you know, notwithstanding all this, here we have Mayor Wilhelm, that's my, uh, de Blasio, um, in the Zero Hedge piece. He is contemplating a lockdown of this city. Not cool. And, you know, a lockdown... Of, Never has that occurred. It's It will not work. Wait a minute. Is this the wrong one? That's it. Oh. Yeah, it's New York City, Mayor City, every option on the table. That's a George Bushism that I really don't like. But it's, it's not as if, you know, we were sitting there and saying, you know, let's... Who, who's the smartest, most practical and experienced person in America? Let's put him in as mayor. No, somebody said, let's get us a tall idiot. You know? <laughs> a tall glass of stupid. Right. <laughs> let's find Mr. Peanut and make him mayor. I mean, the guy, the guy, he cannot get the snow plowed, which is a tough thing to do. He can't make the trains run on time. He hasn't fixed the subway. I mean, there's so many things this guy gets wrong. The last person I'm going to listen to on this crisis is de Blasio. I mean, let's, let's think about it. Against a, a thundering herd of Olympian competitors in the Democratic primary. De Blasio didn't even... I mean, I think de Blasio dropped out certainly before boot edge edge. And, you know, tell me why we should listen to the mayor of New York City. There's no shortage of dumb pictures of him, which is fun for me. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, he's Who is this guy on the left? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe one of our viewers will know. Yeah, they're like, hey, let's close down the city. <laughs> That's fun, right? Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, from a practical standpoint, when the schools are open, uh, there are sadly, even in this rich city, there are a lot of people who are living at, the, at Knife's Edge and send, there was this report, and I don't have a link to, of some woman with six children. Was just, you can ask, does that make sense? But uh, <laughs> six children, she, she's 
she can't feed her children, so she sends them for breakfast and lunch in school, Ooh. and now she doesn't know what she's going to do with the schools where she is are closed. So it's not, it's not crystal clear to me that, that the, the approach of shutting everything down and trying to enforce a lockdown in a city where disagreeing is, and trying to flout authority is the, is the, national, or the local sport here uh, is, is going to end well in a, in a city also and at a time as the weather is getting warmer and wetter as we go into spring. So yeah, I'm not sure that makes that much sense. And then, and just for everybody's convenience, Charles, I've just pasted the link to today's slide presentation into the comments, so people should be able to pick it up there. Good. Now, this Breitbart link, you'll um, uh, it, it'll probably have all kinds of pop-ups, which is why I don't like to put them in. But, but I think <laughs> I've got the you got the blocker. blocker under control. But this, to me, if we're gonna if we're gonna panic about multiple people dying sooner than they should die. Uh, we should really put thinking caps on, not only about Africa and parts of Asia, which don't have the infrastructure they need and have vast populations. We should be thinking about, uh, you know, and not, as I was a kid, you know, there's problems in Ethiopia, so give money to Ethiopia because there's a starving child in Ethiopia. No. If... If we want to be good Samaritans in this country and other countries, we want to try to help in these foreign places. You know, how should we be judging ourselves, given the amount of money that has been sent already to Africa and to these places in Asia, with nobody actually caring, it seems, what happened to that money? And now, if people in New York, we're going to go through a tough period, but if this actually does find its way back into Ethiopia, back into some of the countries we've talked about before that don't have the health infrastructure, it's going to be carnage there. I thought they'd been saying that it wasn't going to Africa, and people were puzzled by that. And then I interviewed a guy, a delivery guy for Amazon yesterday, who said that he thought that perhaps black people were not susceptible to coronavirus. I don't think he had medical training. Yeah, just you mentioned like he was a, a bicycle delivery guy. But <laughs> seemed like an okay theory. You know, there's, a, there's a guy who's an aboriginal Japanese type who lives on the street between, I think, 28th Street and 29th Street or something like that. Thereabouts, he hangs out on a cardboard box. You should ask him his medical. Yeah, he might he know knows. more about it than that. He might. might you know. I don't know. You could put him on TV and right. get him to speak to uh, CNN. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably what he does during the day. But <laughs> when he's not delivering for Whole Foods. So um, there's a great... We were just over in Norway, as some of our viewers remember, and um, this next link here is we met with the founder of Document, uh, which is an, an internet. It's kind of like a free republic for, for uh, Norway. And people in their free time, if they want to, they can have this article that just came out. And thanks to our friend in way for bringing my attention to it. This is an article in Norwegian that explains that the reason Ghana now has the coronavirus is that somebody in the Norwegian diplomatic corps traveled into Ghana with the virus and has brought it to Ghana. What the hell did he do that for? I don't think he's, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's terribly smart. Did you notice I changed it to English? Wow, you speak Norwegian. It's amazing. I did actually run into two Norwegian guys on my walk back from this uh, walk around Times Square and everything. And one of them was wearing like a Norway jacket with a Norway flag on it. And they had suitcases. And I said, "Uh, are you guys going back to Norway? And they said, yes. Which, I, I mean, 
if someone said that to me in the middle of Norway, are you going back to America? I'd say, how did you know I was American? But they didn't say that. I asked them what was up and they said they had just arrived and because of coronavirus, they were leaving. And I said, but aren't you going to have to be in quarantine for two weeks when you get back? And they said something like that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Doesn't sound like fun yeah. at all. I didn't really have too much fun traveling How to Norway without coronavirus. <laughs> How close were you to those two guys? <laughs> I don't think they had coronavirus. <laughs> I think they were afraid of getting it. Anyway, so uh, this is uh, the, the folks who operate this document. It's a great site, and I'd recommend it. Uh, I'd like to see more sites like document spread around the world. Maybe mm-hmm. that will happen. Yeah. So... Um, Here's also a good analysis on the subject of distribution. Uh, this is an area, what the Japanese get credit, if that's the right word, or blame for just-in-time delivery. Uh, it used to be we had a system in this country and around the world where there, were, there was a lot more inventory kept at various locations and uh, supply chains were very short. And we didn't have the system where if you wanted to make a car, what you would do is you would send, you know, you would source stuff from around the world. You might have multiple cross-ocean shipments uh, until the final vehicle made its way back into your home country or home market. So we have very complex supply chains. We have, uh, therefore, when, when there are abrupt shifts in demand, as has happened now, as people look at their future and say, if I'm going to be in quarantine in my apartment for two months or two weeks, or I better have a bit more food in the apartment. Right. Suddenly, when uh, people shift their behavior abruptly, and again, this is well, the risks I was mentioning earlier, you end up with this kind of a scenario, which is explained in this article. Uh, I haven't seen it to this level yet in the shops that I patronize uh, no. near where I live, but definitely... Uh, Way outside ordinary for New York City. Yeah, definitely very different. So far, nothing critical, at least on the you know, consuming food and getting stuff for your apartment or your house. Doesn't seem to be a problem yet. On the other hand, what I think the health experts are concerned about is if people, if the, are the hospitals prepared for a sudden influx of people who need a limited number of beds and special treatment facilities that, are, that exist in each of the many hospitals across this country? That's what they fear uh, as a guess. Mm. And so we're just going to have to sit and, and be careful about who we interact with and hope for the best. And Donald Trump has called for a national day of prayer today. He's done that before, actually. And of course, you know, the secular press is crapping all over him for doing that. But, <laughs> you know, I think um, most people hope, other than, you know, CNN and MSNBC and Bernie and Biden, hope that uh, the steps being taken now are going to work. At least we'll mitigate whatever it is that we face in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some good news for you, Jason. What's that? This next link. Uh, uh, uptick in the production of kombucha. You know, you're gonna like this. This is this this study did not control for stupidity, oh. but but here being stubborn and rigid can lower your Alzheimer's risk. Oh, well, which then I'm would have been good news for Joe if he wasn't as stupid as he is. Because I think, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's certainly stubborn, Joe Biden. This looks like a friend of mine from L.A. Wow, was she stubborn? Well, she's an actress, so it might be her, but I don't know. It says Africa Studio, Stock Adobe. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, so who knows? That could be her. She was not stubborn. She was quite flexible and very nice. All right. And good. a comedian. And a comedian. There you go. Very funny. There you go. So, so what is this saying? Being stubborn? And rigid in your thinking, you know, flexible in your thinking will actually limit your, your potential to get Alzheimer's, according to the study, which again did not control for stupidity. And, uh, and so clearly, if you, this study does not apply to people like... It's challenging every person that you meet to a fight, even if they're 40 years younger yeah, than you, uh, that might increase yeah, your chance. Older, you know, I'm going to take away your AR-14. There's no such There's thing, There's been Joe. a lot of play. That guy, the construction worker, he's actually quite intelligent and has a number of points of view that are well thought through and well articulated. And, you know, it's interesting, Charles. I've been encountering and speaking with a number of people who uh, a lot might be prone to dismiss uh, as someone whose opinion doesn't matter. But I think some of these people, average people, have important opinions that are worth listening to. I mean, it, back when you went to college and I went to college, it was unquestioned reason that you should go and get at least a bachelor's degree, if not right. a graduate degree. It wasn't even a debate about it. Right. And people like me rushed, and you rushed off to do that. I would argue that going back to maybe 99, 2000, or after that, it's not clear to me that that makes as much sense as it used to make. And indeed, people that you may be referring to, people who work hard at construction, that's tough work. And there are, you know, the master carpenters, the master electricians, the plumbers, stuff, whatever it is, there are large people large number of people in those trades who do important work, including putting up buildings that we wouldn't be sitting in right now if, if they weren't done properly. Right. Um, and they are the practical ones who looked at this and said, you know, I could go try to get into one of these brand name schools and maybe pay for it, but I'm not into that. I'm into carpentry or I'm into plumbing and I'd rather be, and they're doing very well. They don't have the student loans and the anxiety and they're doing something they like. And so, yeah, those type of people are often far more pragmatic than the pinheads. Um, so uh, this is a link here. Uh, you referred to Joe Biden's experience. Now, we have to look at the topsy-turvy world of, of Joe Biden. And think back two weeks ago, <laughs> this dude was written off, right? I mean, he, he had lost key primaries, people were you know, writing his epitaph. Um, and then the establishment Democrats got together and said, wait a minute, we can't let a communist socialist be the standard bearer for the Democratic Party. We're going to get crushed. And so the project of dumping Bernie went into high gear. And listen, fat, or Biden, or whatever what you want to call him, <laughs> I mean, this, the gaffes, it's not simply gaffes. It's, it's one thing, and I'm sure if we go back over the many hours of podcasting that you and I have done together, I will have made mistakes in what I say. I mean, it's inevitable if you talk for hundreds of hours, you're going to make yeah, a mistake. Yeah, I mean, Charles, this Joe Biden live stream makes this show look like the Academy Awards. It <laughs> is the Academy Awards. <laughs> but I mean, you just look, he has this, this mannerism of <laughs> walking Somebody's around. Somebody's This is like, Grandpa, come back in the house. Uh, right. What are you doing? Put some pants on. <laughs> you're in your underwear. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, th this, this thing was so cringeworthy. <laughs> this, 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 remember, the back, background on this is that uh, Trump's first press conference 
I would argue, or his Oval Office address was not as strong as I think it should have been. So Biden immediately said, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to take, I'm going to up the ante here. You know, he's got the Oval Office. I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to do a high tech, you know, whatever. And I'm not exactly sure when this happened, but Biden has shifted uh, his campaign around and he's put, he's replaced his old campaign manager with a new campaign manager. And the new campaign manager is the dingbat mm. who was running Beto O'Rourke's campaign. Oh, I mean, yeah. so that's, that's always brilliant, turn Joe. to the manager of a loser. Yeah, Joe, a brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. So they say, we'll get together and we'll have this, this, uh, ask me anything equivalent or whatever it was. And it, it just watch it, follow the link and watch it. It's four minutes. It's, I, I, I'm amazed that uh, they, they actually even came up with this idea. I mean, in North Korea, maybe even in a less tough country, they would round the people up. Shoot them. And shoot them. <laughs> it's like, you've you got to be kidding me. This is what you did to our candidate? And, um, and, and really, on a, uh, I'm not going to advise Democrats what to do, but, but I feel, even for Joe Biden's fractured family, I feel... For that family, because I mean, Joe Biden belongs in long-term care. Long-term care. He shouldn't be driving. He should be watching his diet. He should be enjoying his remaining days on Earth. This guy um, has no common sense, no judgment. Picking fights with people uh, as he does on a regular basis, or, or like or, in their thirties, right? Exactly. It's and just, construction workers right. who just might clock you, right? Exactly. <laughs> just, and. and America, I mean, you could say what you want about where we are today. Maybe you'd like to have things done differently or whatever. We're the richest country on earth. We have the best growth trajectory. There's so much going right. I don't think, I'm betting, frankly, that an overwhelming majority of people in America don't want to be lectured to by a bumbling buffoon about how his plans are going to make things better, that he's ready, quote, on day one. This guy isn't ready at 10.30 in the morning when he wakes up at 6. I maybe mean, he, he knows where you can buy toilet paper, however. Maybe. I, I wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't take that. But, and, you know, also, when you, I was actually with some Bernie Sanders supporters yesterday, and, or people who are close to them, and they're pissed at Bernie already. You know, and here we have this New York Post article saying... Why are the supporters pissed at Bernie? Because he sold out. He should ah. have, you know, he should have clocked Joe Biden. They stuffed, uh, in my view, when we get, when we go back into the actual, uh, tallies for the various places. I mean, think about the first few primaries. They couldn't, in the first caucus, they, when did the Iowa caucus results finally come in? You know, that days was, later. Well, well, more than a week later, I think. And, yeah. you know, and place after place, what happened in 15 and 16 to Bernie Sanders is happening again. And instead of standing up and fighting passionately for whatever it is he does believe, he's just, you know, unless a miracle happens tonight at 8 p.m. on CNN, he's just going to get steamrolled by by a, a person who can barely complete a, one sentence, not a paragraph, one sentence without making a mistake. One good thing about both of these dopes running for president is that if the government tries to institute, you know, regulations along the lines of what they're trying to do in the United Kingdom, these two won't be able to leave their house for months. That's exactly right. <laughs> stay home and exactly. no more nonsense. Yeah, but but I just knowing that the few people I do know who are have in the past been Bernie supporters, you cannot square 
supporting Bernie with supporting Biden. It's impossible. Yeah. And I don't think you could square supporting Bernie with supporting Hillary, which is why she lost in part in 2016. <laughs> so um, now here's a, uh, an interesting piece picked in Gateway Pundit, picked up by our friend Larry Johnson, uh, who Larry is a, uh, I suppose nobody is a former CIA person, but he is a former CIA analyst, now retired, and he has got some work. This was a, a post I guess, originally done on Larry's site and then picked up by Jim Hoff, the Gateway Pundit. But it goes through in considerable depth what happened, uh, well, an analysis of some documents. And why I found it pretty interesting is it goes at the end, I think, if this is the one I'm thinking about, it it has, yeah, it it ties... Uh, this person is Sarah.Latham at PTT.gov. Now, Sarah.Latham and PTT.gov is the presidential transition something or other. Team? Team, uh, yeah. And th- that's the entity that was created right around, right after Barack, or maybe before, but right as Barack Obama won and that operated and negotiated the, quote, MOU with the Clinton Foundation without doing any real legal agreements to protect the president and the country from the Clintons themselves or anything else. And this ties a substantial amount of activity into this period. See, it's attached to an email sent on December 21st, 2008. And I reached out to to, uh, Larry to point out that what this tells me is that the when we think about the the efforts to go against Trump, uh, which I would argue were not simply efforts to go against Trump, they were efforts to go against any Republican who might oppose she who was to be elected in mm. 2016. Um, I think the root cause of all this is, the in part, that the Clintons and the Obamas don't want serious journalists to study closely what was truly going on from June of 2008 as then Barack Obama won, and then as he put together his team, they don't want folks to study what was the basis of the accommodation between the Clintons and the Obamas. How did Hillary get inserted in the Secretary of State? What deal may have been cut involving which people to uh, give the Clintons so much power in a rising Obama administration? You know, here you had two bitter rivals. You had Bill Clinton saying nasty things about Obama, you know, saying, uh, I think he said something like, after Obama won South Carolina in 2008, I think it was Bill who said, you know, that guy would have been bringing this coffee 10 years ago. Uh, Didn't he say something worse than that? I know. But, but I, I know. just want to take you back to this for a second, Charles, because, so I don't know this guy, Larry Johnson. You and Lee have both mentioned him several times. So he's talking about DC leaks. Right. So this was operated by John Mark Dugan, who I have interviewed several times. Uh, Now, it's interesting the way that it's worded, because they're saying, we assess with high confidence that the GRU, which is a Russian intelligence agency, right? This is like the replacement for the... Larry isn't saying it. He's just reporting that the U.S. intelligence community is saying it. Okay. So I think this is a lie, because I think... Oh, that's what he's saying, yeah. Ah, okay, good. Because I don't think John Mark Dugan was getting information from the Russians. He went to Russia as a separate matter after the cops in Florida tried to kill him. 
That would be, I mean, I'm not sure I'd go to Russia, but that, I mean, Well, because the, the FBI became involved. I mean, he started DC Leaks and later um, PBSOTalk.org as a WikiLeaks-style anonymous website where whistleblowers could upload evidence. And he was getting evidence from other deputies in right. the Palm Beach County Sheriff. I don't think the Russians have access to sheriff's deputy stuff that's happening in Florida. Well, and I'm pretty sure John Mark Dugan adamantly denies that and has put up a new video. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet, but we'll have to follow that story. Right, but I think this is all great. I mean, the, the, and it ties in very well with the next thing that we're going to put up here, that, that I, the, the period of time that uh, James Comey started out, that oh, Mueller started out as FBI director, his tenure as FBI director, Comey's tenure as U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York during the Bush administration and then through the Obama administration are periods where so much stuff concerning our relations with Russia makes no sense. And moreover, um, during which Epstein managed to get insinuate himself into the Clinton Foundation, taking credit for creating the Clinton Global Initiative, flying... Clinton around on his various jets to Africa in 2002 and afterwards, uh, and all the while pretending that he was a billionaire, having access to, we now see, 500 million or so of assets, none of this story has been told properly, and in my opinion. It's not, the strings have not been um, tied together neatly. And here again... Uh, this guy I, monitored Epstein on Suicide Watch? The, is that what it says? Yeah. It says, inmate who monitored Jeffrey Epstein on Suicide Watch tells his story. Like, I'm always very suspicious. Where the hell was this guy in August? Yeah. Like, why is he suddenly telling his story now? Well, I don't know. But but I think, I mean, to me, we initially when Epstein's body, we didn't buy that no, right I away. We didn't buy that at all. Um, but on this whole subject of, of Palm Beach, you mentioned the guy was doing this stuff in Palm right. Beach. Epstein was... Holding himself, holding himself out there in Palm Beach, uh, and a, a piece that we don't have a link to, which I, but that I promised to explain, is that uh, in the last forty-eight hours or so, it's been announced that that Bill Gates right. is coming off the uh, has come off the Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway boards, and is reorganizing his affairs to focus on climate change and I think coronavirus and stuff like that. Now, um, Bill Gates. Uh, is supposed to be a smart guy. Now, whether he is or not is I another don't agree question. With that. Well, he's always sold to the world as here's this boy genius who became a billionaire when he was very young and is one of the richest people in the world. And, you know, because he's so rich, obviously he must be smart, is the theory. Right. Uh, but um, we did our best to warn Gates under a theory that maybe what he was trying to do in his Gates Foundation was good. We did our best starting in 2015 to warn him that he had one hell of a set of problems explaining why his smart team at the Gates Foundation has given over $150 million to various bits and pieces of the Clinton Foundation that don't legally exist. So we tried to warn him. We got no traction, no response. Now he's going to focus, he says, in these different ways. I believe, in part, why he may have to do this is the conflicts of interest between him personally and Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett and his various foundations are so big when this whole thing starts exploding, as I think it is in the process now of exploding, uh, 
And the two of these guys, these are the deep pockets. Great picture. It is a great picture. These are the people everyone is going to sue. <laughs> well, Warren Buffett is like, what are you laughing at? Yeah, I'm going to die soon. I don't care about this. <laughs> He's smiling. Yeah, that's the new CEO of uh, Microsoft. This guy? Yeah. Hmm. An Indian though. I, I got to tell you, I mean, Microsoft Windows to me is just a disaster. I've had and used basically every version of it. I find it to be really terrible. But you're a Mac daddy. I actually started out in computers on a system called the Commodore Amiga, oh, which was way ahead of its time. And um, I, I had a Windows computer for a while. It was just terrible. So as we like to do when we close this first section, um, this story, I just, you know, I like Zero Hedge and... You know, let's think a little bit more clearly about this. As bad as coronavirus may be, I have not heard anyone say that it's worse than HIV AIDS, Mm. which is pretty bad. And sex workers seem to be involved in that business in face of an HIV AIDS problem that has not disappeared. It is, I mean, ameliorated. Arresting the spread of HIV into AIDS has been definitely... um, that people have been able to give those infected with HIV a much longer healthful life before they ultimately, if they do ultimately, succumb to, uh, to, to AIDS. But, you know, quotes from uh, Andrea Warhoon, a stripper based in Toronto. So kind of, yeah, it's a know. big stripper town. I think they love strippers oh, in yeah. Canada. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, a lot of sex workers are freaking out right now. Tell me when they don't freak out. <laughs> well, gee, they're normally so calm and well-adjusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would think it's yeah. a rare thing. You know, it's funny, Charles, because when I was walking back from this Times Square video right now, I should have kept the camera running because I did walk past uh, Rick's Cabaret. And, I mean, I don't know who's in the strip club on a Sunday. In, in the sun in the afternoon on Sunday. But they were like, Hey, come on inside and blah blah. It's the ministers. They finish well, church services. Right. They go right there. I mean, I don't really patronize strip clubs. I don't I'm not against them, but I'm not into going in them. And I asked them, I said, Are the strippers like nervous or whatever? And they like, nah, it's fine. But they did admit that it was less than half as busy as it usually is. Well, but so let's continue with this quote, which I'm reading now for the first time. I feel like my career as a dancer is in jeopardy. Oh. It's less viable to hang out in crowds, which is oh. kind of what I do every Friday and Saturday night in order to make money. There are other ways to make money than selling yourself stripper. in a crowd. Yeah. And then she concludes with it's a big, big blow. Whoop. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. That's how they make the extra money, apparently. <laughs> she said, locals and regulars are keeping sex workers afloat. I'm surprised this isn't on the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised this woman doesn't get a job at the New York Times. They seem to be having sex with all the subjects of the stories anyway. She could be perfect. <laughs> She's on the editorial board. Right. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness, Charles. Well, so with that, we're going to now take you to a new foundation. A new one. And this is called Clinton Birthplace Foundation. So this was set up on the 31st of July, 1990. Very interesting that um, if you go back to that time frame, what happened in early August, Jason, 1990? Uh, Well, I had just graduated high school. I don't really know. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Right, 
Yeah. Early in August. So this days, aggression will not stand, man. Right. Days before that happened, they create this birthplace foundation. Now, I don't put this in the slide because I wanted to save it for the audience. There is a rule that if you incorporate but don't file for exemption within 27 months, you, uh, you have special issues to confront. Now, we haven't been able to find the 1023 people in Arkansas, if they can help us here, the, the tax exemption application, federal tax exemption for this entity. Uh, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen the articles yet, the bylaws. We haven't seen uh, what they claimed. We haven't seen, we've seen some 990s. But we're going to get on the trail of this thing. It gets incorporated in the town of Washington, Arkansas. And I believe we have some footage of Washington, Arkansas, which is, if you think about it, a very clever thing. You know, if, you, if you're trying to claim that you organized your thing, you're raising money in Washington, D.C., and somebody asks you the question, remember, this is the man who later will quibble over the meaning of the word is, will claim that, that while he was being... Uh, having his anxieties relieved by Monica Lewinsky, he wasn't engaged in sexual activity with her because he wasn't trying to please her at the same time. The guy who will think like that, you know, is, is most likely somebody who would say, I know what we're going to do. We'll raise money once I get to Washington. And people will say, are you incorporated in Washington? And they won't know that we're incorporated in Washington, Arkansas. So Look I'm not technically... Place, Charles. I know, it looks very nice. Well, I mean, it looks like it's four houses in the middle of the woods. Oh, yeah, there's 170 people who live in that town, <laughs> right? So, so they incorporated, for some reason, in that town. They say the idea is to, is to buy the birthplace home of Bill Clinton. Oh. Uh, and this, this is a description in 2001 from the... Up there, we'll give you the ability to look at... Uh, Want to hit it? You, you don't need to. People who are interested in it can go and see. That's you, you can get 990s for I think 91 forward. Um, you can't yet. I haven't been able to go back to 94 and beforehand, and that's something I want to do. But basically, the idea was they set this thing up when Bill was still governor of Arkansas, huh? To uh, to buy his uh, childhood home and then you know keep it in the condition it was in when Bill was living there as a kid. Okay, that's a nice thing to do. You can imagine that that's... Make it a museum or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and this is not in Washington, Arkansas, but in Hope, right? So Bill Clinton, remember, the, the Saddam invades Kuwait the couple days after this thing is put together, right? And George Bush and Nick Brady uh, put together a, a coalition that funded that war. Um, they went around, they passed the hat. I've, I've heard from Nick himself how he did it. He was, used to be the chairman of the firm I worked at. And, uh, you know, they went to the Japanese and said, listen, we need ex umpty up tens of billions of dollars and you're going to pay it because, you know, we're going to go in here, we're going to straighten this out and you're a big importer of oil and you've got to help out. And so they put together the, this coalition and it did fund much of the adventure. Wow. And it worked, it appeared to work. And it was the first time since the Vietnam War that, that an American project and military project seemed to work astoundingly well so much so that it changed the calculus of people who were concerned about uh, the u.s versus the soviet union u.s versus china we displayed military capabilities that were very interesting and powerful uh, and intimidating frankly and uh, once they pulled it off once they liberated kuwait george hw bush's uh approval rating was 90 percent that's absurd right 
And so it, just after the victory, Bill decides that he's going to put together a campaign as sort of a hapless guy from Arkansas with all the credentials or whatever, that he's going to take on a sitting president of the United States. Now, to do that, you need money. So a thesis that I have had ever since reading uh, Bill Clinton's book, Giving, a book that he was paid $6.4 supposedly, for writing, a book about his own charity, which he wasn't actually technically in charge of, um, there seems to, he brags about the Coon Dinner in Arkansas, which was a uh, the COO and raccoon dinner. Yes. Um, and it's still something they should rename. <laughs> exactly. But where they raise, you know, more money than they really need every year for this high school football team in some small town like Washington. It's not. Why what, is the president going to a high school football team fundraiser? It's uh, you come up, you get earn your chops in Arkansas. Oh, 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 if back you, in the day. It, okay. Even now, if you want to be a statewide candidate, you've got to go to this coon dinner thing and, and wow. pretend that you're eating the food. Uh, which supposedly is, is roadkill. Well, this is somewhat related, Charles. I wonder if you can answer a question from the Smoo Sooner, uh, who claims that Monica Lewinsky was a Mossad plant by Rahm Emanuel. And there are arguments of that, yeah. Ah, yeah. interesting. There are, I've seen that before. So, um, anyway, it was implausible for Bill to think that he would win, but, you know, scroll forward, he did. Now, let's think about it. If you're, if you're a relatively young guy in your 40s, you're, you know, you're got all sorts of problems, you, you have no savings, you're not making any money as the governor of Arkansas, where are you going to scare up the money to take on the Bush family? Sell and blow. Well, you put together a board for this Clinton Birthplace Foundation. And how many board members did the, the V. William J. Clinton Presidential Foundation have when it started, Jason? Wasn't it just three, like exactly. Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea? Right. And so that thing was based in, no, not, it is, not, no, no, it was never Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea originally. It was three lawyers, and then it became uh, Vernon Jordan's wife, Ann Jordan, David Pryor, and uh, the doofus, Jim, Jim, Skip Rutherford. What they were the Epstein? three. Epstein was never, as far as I know, a trustee. But he claims, incidentally, the claim by Epstein to have founded the Clinton right, Foundation, that's right. like somebody coming out now and being like, oh, I invented coronavirus. It's like, <laughs> who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I invented the Gambino crime family. Right. But anyway, so uh, they put to the, the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton Birthplace Foundation were supposed to be the same type of foundation. They're public charities, broadly represented the public at large. The Clinton, the William J. Clinton Presidential Foundation was based in Little Rock. This is based in, in, in uh, either Washington or Hope, Arkansas. The Clinton Foundation came together October 23, 1997. So after this Clinton birthplace thing, how many trustees does the Clinton birthplace foundation or directors, how many do they have in 2001? I don't know. 67. Ooh, it seems like a lot. There are only 170 people in the town of Washington. <laughs> so you look at this and you say, you go down the list. At first, I didn't really focus upon this because I just saw like the first three or four names were in the actual body of the 990. And then there's an attachment that lists out all these other names. So yeah, Maxine Green, she's from Hope. That's where the, Helen Wood from Hope. That's great. Woody Putrell, where that's a, you know, Nashville, Arkansas, wherever that is. You go down the list. Then you get to this guy, Yvonne Baker. Now, Ivan, is that a Russian name? I-V-A-N? Yeah, I think it is a Russian Could name. Be and, and there's no address for this guy. Oh. So this is in 2000. Baker is his last name? Yeah. 
But that doesn't sound Russian. But I mean, right? You get off the boat and you change. Ivan, you keep, and you know. But anyway, we don't know. They, you're supposed to give the address of every director, and right. they don't. They didn't. Then you get to item six: Linda Blood, Bloodworth Thomas in Studio City, California. What? You know, you know who she is? Um, I lived right next to Studio City, California, but no, I don't know. Designing Women. She's the Bloodworth. She, she's the big uh, television producer, along with her husband. Yeah, that makes sense. Who is Harry Thomason. And he, the two of them are on this board. You start going through this. I, William Bowen, there was a William Bowen who was the president of Princeton. I don't know that this is the same one. Sheila Bronfman is... Oh, you know, Nexium. I don't know if she, it was it Sheila Bronfman. Well, she's one of the Bronfmans, right? Yeah, I don't but know. Just, just on this television producer, Charles, I'm pretty bad at geography and directions and things, but I am... Very certain that Studio City is nowhere near Washington, <laughs> Arkansas. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you keep going down the list. You get uh, Dale Bumpers. Uh, well, I don't know if he was then the senator. He may have been the senator uh, representing Arkansas. He doesn't list an address. People who live in Arkansas can pour over this list, and I'm sure there are, there are interesting people. I just don't know who they are. There's this guy, Ron Harrod, H-A-R-R-O-D, who is the chairman of this entity. And then... Jason, is this wasn't this guy dead? Ooh. Item twenty. Uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, <laughs> it's probably a different Jimi Hendrix. Might be a different Jimi Hendrix. But then you go down the list here. The significance of number twenty-eight, David Pryor, is that he was by two thousand one. He was still a trustee of this thing, and that fact is not disclosed in the Clinton Foundation. He's only one of three uh, to five, depending on the year, trustees of the Clinton Foundation. You're supposed to disclose all your related party affiliations. So Pryor had had a long-standing affiliation with this Clinton birthplace thing that's not disclosed. And if there are any problems with the Clinton birthplace thing, these are not disclosed. Here's Harry Thomason, number 35. Then we have this guy, David Wilhelm. And in a thought experiment, without having done this recently... I don't know if you could put that guy's name into uh, Google. Which one? David Wilhelm, W-I-L-H-E-L-M. No relation to our mayor, but this is a Chicago-based Wilhelm. I Seems think like you... there's going to be a million people named David Wilhelm. No, is this him? Uh, political campaign manager. Yeah, that guy. This I is think him. that may or may not be the guy. But there is a famous David Wilhelm, uh, yeah, campaign manager for the 1992 U.S. presidential campaign of Bill Clinton. There you go. All right, there's a direct connection. You know, the Birthplace Foundation, campaign manager for Bill Clinton, based in Chicago, right? Where's the research on these ties and what was really going on with this Birthplace Foundation? So if we go back into the there's slide. There's a tie right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you then get some other. Betsy Wright, based in Washington, D.C., was the person who was tasked with controlling the bimbo eruptions. She the was what? The one, yeah, it's in the book. If you, if you Google Betsy Wright and bimbo eruptions, she used that term. So like, she was the one who's. Bill bimbo has, eruption sounds like it could be the name for one of these strip clubs that's closing There you go. Out. There you go. <laughs> and I think the people here now listed Jay Dickey, Tim Hutchinson, and Blanche Lambert, if memory serves, are all. Arkansas representatives based in Washington, D.C., who are on the board of this thing. Uh, I may be wrong on that. Ray Thornton doesn't list an address. 
And then Parker Westbrook is listed as being in Washington and Arkansas. So he's, you know, one of the 170 people oh. in this town. So Parker. there was, there's been no focus on this thing. But if you look at this, I would never join the board of an entity that has 67 directors. I mean, the, too much of a pain it's in the a, ass it's at an board absurd, meetings. It's an absurd idea. I mean, you know, what, what is the typical number on a board of directors? It depends by type of entity. Like Apple Computer, huge company. 12 to 15, really? maybe. So this having 67 is incredibly weird. So what, what you do, the reason you do stuff like this is to give fundraisers, you know, friends of the president, the ability to say, oh, you know, I, you know, I'm on the board of the Clinton Birthplace Foundation. I'm really close to Bill. And so my thesis on this, remember, this is a foundation that came together public charity that came together six years before the Clinton Foundation, right? It, uh, six, yeah. Well, he announces the campaign on 3 October, seven years before the Clinton Foundation. This thing comes together. We don't have the history on the early period yet. They probably did not adopt bylaws. They probably made all the mistakes they later made. But here's a perfect vehicle. Oh, I left off number 24, Jason. Who's that? Bev Lindsay. You know who she is? Mm, nope. The wife of Bruce Lindsay. Oh, my gosh. Right? So all of these ties here, this is the first that we know of. There may be one before 31 July 1990, but this is the first public charity associated with the Clinton Foundation that appears to be a centerpiece for raising money to help fund Bill Clinton's campaigns, to help probably finance his lifestyle, we don't really know how very little money went into this Clinton Birthplace Foundation. So there's a possibility that they would say they were raising money for the Birthplace Foundation, but really set this thing up as a vehicle for people in Arkansas who wanted to give Bill money for his presidential campaign to take a tax deduction for doing that by making setting the money towards this Clinton Birthplace Foundation, which, as a guess, doesn't have a real accountant, doesn't have a real CFO, doesn't have real books and records. So... Um, and you've already shown the picture of uh, the Clinton Birthplace Foundation in Washington, Arkansas. So this is something we're going to dig into. People in Arkansas can help us. We may have left out names that are notorious in Arkansas that we just don't know yet. But um, this, to me, reeks. It just reeks. And ultimately, this foundation uh, was transferred to the National Park Service, I believe, in 2011, hmm. while Hillary was Secretary of State. So that transaction is also interesting. You know, why did the National Park Service decide that they should take this thing over? Was it done properly? It probably wasn't done properly. But it does seem like the type of thing that would be a park, the home, the birthplace of a president. But it has to have been run properly. If, it's, you know, if from inception it was set up as a vehicle to finance Bill Clinton's first campaign and subsequent re-election campaign uh, as president, then that's a defective charity that the United States government cannot fix by buying. <laughs> by taking it. Right. But did they give them money or something? Why would they want to turn it over to the Well, parks? maybe they didn't want to fund the continued maintenance. And uh-huh. so if the parks... Why make it in the first place? Well, I mean, as again, I think it's, it's one of these causes. It's like, you know, coronavirus, we've got a big problem. Give me a trillion dollars. You know, Clinton Birthplace Foundation, I need $100 million. Okay, okay, I'll give you $100 million. And then you don't know where the money went, and it well, goes but, to the. But parks. I've got for a hundred million, I've got the president of the United States, right? Yeah, which yes. is, I mean, I'm, I'm five times better than Mike Bloomberg, right? <laughs> At least five times better because he spent five hundred million, and he got nothing. Hmm. So continuing along, we have some examples here. This is in hindsight. This is really interesting. What we've done here 
um, is we're going to play a game and encourage our followers, crowdsource the truthers, to go into the WikiLeaks Podesta emails and start putting in names that you see here and other names that you're interested in to see if any interesting emails come up that can be looked at in context again with the benefit of hindsight. So here's an email that was sent to Bruce Lindsay, Cheryl Mills, you see at a Gmail address in 2012. Now Cheryl Mills at that time was working in the State Department. Why was she using Gmail? For official business. Right. And there's Terry McAuliffe. He's got his own stuff. Uh, John Podesta's using Gmail. Uh, I don't know who these other people are, but here there's one person at State. There's somebody at the uh, Soros-funded American Progress thing run in part by uh, John Podesta. This thing is dated Monday, March 26, 2012. If it's on East Coast time, it's at 5.19 in the afternoon. And this is a blast email saying, from, from the executive assistant to the CEO of an entity that did not exist at that time lawfully, William J. Clinton Foundation, let me know if you're available this Thursday at 2 p.m. for a board call with President Clinton. President Clinton wasn't on the board of the Clinton Foundation in 2012, I don't think. Uh, I don't think he went on the board until 2013. So what is he doing organizing a board call? How is he paying for Anna Maria Coronel, whoever that may be, to have an office at 77 Water Street? Where we went. Where we went. That's a fancy building, by the way. That was not registered. Who is paying for this phone and fax and cell? And it's not lawfully linked to the ClintonFoundation.org, right? This is March 26, 2012. This is as Barack Obama is getting ready to destroy Mitt Romney in the end. It's as he's getting ready to hide what really happened in Benghazi. Um, and immediately coming back from Bruce R Lindsay at 5.30, so 11 minutes roughly later, I'm traveling from Little Rock to D.C. I'm scheduled to arrive in Memphis at 1.48, so if he did that, I don't understand how he would be able to have a 2 o'clock board call because most planes may land at 1.48, but they're not going to actually... But he says, almost all of us will be in Washington, D.C. on Friday for CGIU, which was held at George Washington University. I'm not sure why it doesn't make more sense to do this in person Friday afternoon in Washington, D.C. Clinton Foundation was never lawfully created Clinton Global Initiative University in any legal jurisdiction anywhere in the world. Certainly not in New York, certainly not in Tennessee, certainly not in Little Rock, certainly not... Uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., as I said. And um, here's an email, and, and the Clinton Foundation has never come back and said, you know, the WikiLeaks Podesta emails are forgeries. In fact, the opposite is the case, that uh, people are saying these are legitimate copies of emails that went back and forth at the time. Now, if you could hit this link, we've shown this in the past before, but I want to remind people that while Hillary was Secretary of State, while she remained married to Bill, um, she blasted, in the later uh, years after this episode, she blasted for-profit uh, for colleges, which is perhaps a sensible thing that she may have done in her life occasionally. Even uh, inherently or inveterately corrupt people can occasionally get a few things right. But she I blasted... I you mean a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> Right, but but here's here's a story, and I, I put this link in here. We've done multiple appearances all over the place talking about Laureate. Laureate, we've done shows on Laureate. But here's NBC News 
in 2016, when Hillary, in theory, was pretending to run for president, uh, pointing out that Bill took a lot of money from for-profit laureate education for being the part-time chancellor. In fact, it's not Bill who took the money. Hillary and Bill took $17.6 because she gets 50%, basically, of anything Bill got, uh, ultimately, if there is a divorce. Um, and, you know, they have such a long uh, marriage at this point, she'd certainly get half of everything. Um, well, also, being married, you would think that they uh, get hazardous their assets. Right? They get hazardous duty pay for being mar- married to one another. But they... Uh, $17.6 million is a lot of money. I mean, Trump was criticized for far less than that. Um, and th- these payments that were negotiated uh, beginning in April-May timeframe in 2010 were negotiated while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Peter Schweitzer was the first to really dive into this laureate thing. But uh, the real issue here is that though they've amended their 990s for the Clinton Foundation and for bits and pieces of the Clinton Foundation multiple times, they haven't gone back and ever explained these $17.6 million, even though Clinton Global Initiative University is a joint venture, in theory, between the Clinton Foundation and Laureate. They haven't explained. We've never seen a legal agreement on that joint venture. Who negotiated it? Where did they file the paperwork for it? Who provided legal and accounting advice on any of this? How come the payments were not disclosed properly in Hillary's campaign uh, materials in, in 990s and other things. How come none of this has ever been done, even to this day? All right, so this is one example of mining these WikiLeaks emails, of which I think there are over 30,000 or 40,000 of WikiLeaks emails. We learned recently, and I've confirmed, I actually spoke to Sydney Powell yesterday at length, and she confirms that on the, on the Wiener laptop, there are 650,000 emails, hmm. uh, many of which... Uh, would appear to be serious trouble for the Clintons. So if we go to the next page, this is March of 2012. Now we're going forward into um, the election cycle in 2015 and 16. Now you remember, because we've done many shows on this, that by July 6, 2015, the Inspector General for the Intelligence Community had recommended, had triggered uh, a requirement for the FBI to open an investigation into Hillary Clinton and others for m- mishandling classified information, and that that investigation uh, started on the 10th of July, 2015. Now, here's Hillary Clinton. Um, in, well, actually, uh, uh, someone on Hillary Clinton's staff sending an email to Mark e- Elias, or however you pronounce his name, who is uh, top... Perkins Coey, that's a law firm that is a powerful super lawyer law firm, um, saying she needs guidance. She's working in a senior role for Hillary Clinton. Uh, she sends it to Mark and to Podesta and to Jake Sullivan and says, this fall, i.e. 2015, the 2015 cycle, she's continuing as a senior policy advisor of the campaign and spending one day a week on a new nonprofit called the Opportunity Institute, of course located in California, in Berkeley, California, the nonprofit is housing an initiative, Too Small to Fail, that is a partnership with the Clinton Foundation. Okay? There's no such partnership. There's no such initiative. 
There's no such legal authority for, for that initiative. But here's an email being sent in August of 2015 to a top Perkins Coe's lawyer, you know, requesting help. She wants to draw very careful lines between her campaign and nonprofit work. I want to be careful and sensitive about any real or perceived conflicts in this work. And then the money shot. I'm particularly sensitive because I'm traveling out to Oklahoma to meet with this George Kaiser guy who's going to finance Hillary's campaign and finance her nonprofit. So in other words, she's trying to get from Mark Elias advice. You know, how do I break the law is basically what she's trying to find out. And Mark instantly responds, um, pretty quickly responds with a couple hours. Happy to chat. Are you available tomorrow? You know, I think we have encountered in this adventure, looking through the Clintons, the Obama Foundation, Bushes, and others, that the, these law firms have, have sprung up, and none of these law firms, whether it's Williams and Connolly, Simpson Thatcher, now Perkins Coe, none of these law firms appear to believe that when they stray outside the law, potentially, and encourage their clients to stray outside the law, that they're ever going to get caught. And that anything, nobody, anybody's ever going to do anything about it. Now, maybe it's the case. What's that? Well, it seems I've located some of the uh, Canadian sex workers who are <laughs> suffering from coronavirus. They've become social engineers in our comments section. Hmm. But they're going to be blocked. They're good, good. I know who it is. All right. So um, if we continue on, we'll close. With, we actually have a few this just ends to go through, but... Uh, this is a really interesting email that I, that popped up. Um, first of all, it's from tflournoy11 at Gmail, again to John Podesta at Gmail. During the campaign, um, in the heat of the campaign, when Hillary, you know, was convinced that they were going to rule the world and measuring curtains, and all, Tina Flournoy. They're just measuring them to see if they'll fit out the front door. Right. Tina Flournoy, uh, my theory on this, they say Bill never sends email. Don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think, I just don't believe that. I think that as people age, the, the one thing they became very comfortable with is email, less so texting. Right. Um, and it's, and I, and Bill and his whole family like to use aliases. I wonder if this isn't Bill Clinton, one of Bill Clinton's aliases or whether he, uh, um, works very closely with this. He does work closely with Tina Flournoy. So this is an email sent at 6.39 on December 22nd, 2015. Okay, this is before Jim Comey is moved to have the FBI begin investigating the Clinton Foundation, which starts in January. Okay, this is a story put out in this Chronicle of Philanthropy, which I think is subscriber-only stuff, basically saying, good news, Charity Navigator, this deaf, dumb, and blind fake entity that supposedly rates charities has taken the Clinton Foundation off their watch list. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and this is after I'd made a big deal in, in uh, November 2015 saying they're going to have to amend their 990s. They only amended some of them. They did it incorrectly. Notice it says the Clinton Foundation was placed on the watch list March 14th. Now, I don't, my article about the Clinton Foundation came out March 16th. So obviously I can't take credit for being placed on the watch list. But for a large number of months, in theory, Charity Navigator was some, studying something about the Clinton Foundation. They could have considered studying whether it actually existed, because that would have been a helpful thing to kind of know before you rate something. And they would have learned that it didn't uh, if they'd done their work. So uh, 
if you go to the next page, Jason, okay, it talks about um, that I, I, I divided the email up into pieces, but it talks about concerns over foreign governments, uh, whether foreign governments were using money sent to the Clinton Foundation to get on the right side of Hillary Clinton. And here it says in this article, the New York-based foundation. It is not a New York-based foundation. It's based in Arkansas. They like to say they're from New York. But yeah, they're absolutely not. Yeah, and it says, from the start, the Clinton Foundation challenged being added to the list. They should have focused on filing amended 990s and getting real audits and correcting their legal paperwork in every state and every foreign country and just confessing to the massive fraud that this is. But they decided not to do that. This is, again, in this article, uh, our supporters. Now, supporter is a phrase I associate with a campaign, not a political campaign, not with a charity. You know, a, a charity is a donor. You're not a supporter, necessarily. You're a donor. Right. And just that, that the charity would even characterize its funding sources as supporters, I think, is a tell. Um, and then you have in the story, Mrs. Clinton resigned from the foundation's board in April 2015. No, she didn't. It was until uh, September 10th, 2015, that her name was taken off as a Class A director of Bill Hillary and Chelsea Clinton Foundation, an entity that was never lawfully, whose articles and bylaws were never lawfully amended, whose various authorities in every state and every nation were not validly filed or reported. And she gets that wrong in this article. And then it says, you know, last month it filed all these Form 990s. They challenged the uh, request by me and others, public request, uh, that they amend. They initially said, we don't need to do that. These are minor technical things. Our oh. accountant, our accountant <laughs> filled it out wrong. The dog ate my homework. Oh, you tiger. Know. I got, I, I got to relieve my anxieties. I can't think about this anymore. <laughs> you know, they had all the reasons they didn't have to do it, but this piece was sent via Blackberry. So the question is, who's Blackberry on December 22nd, 2015? Who was that BlackBerry registered to on an AT&T service, right? So we know that if Adam Shifty Schiff can go to these right. communicators and say, a communications company says, I want to see what you have on this device, why can't Barr and, forget about Ray, but why can't Barr and whoever replaces Ray ultimately, why can't they figure out who actually sent this thing? Now, Charles, is this BlackBerry, forgive me if my color perception is off, is it George Soros purple? It's No, it's blue. It, it's, a, it's a crackberry blue. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it, you could say maybe it approached, this portion of it here is almost purple, but I think the top in, in the light is blue. But there's... Hillary with the BlackBerry, and we've heard a lot. Apparently invented by, uh, what's his name, the dead traitor, and uh, hacked by Imran Awan, John McCain. Uh Oh, yeah, dead traitor. So so we've got five This Just Ins, and I think we can close with those. Oh, yes, absolutely. I finished the slides, got them over to Jason, and he does his magic. And uh, These are sort of out of order, but apparently... Uh, it's good find the way you do them. Uh, this just happened that for some reason Barack Obama is following a porn star on Twitter. Now Barack Obama doesn't follow many people, mm. and he's got two daughters and a wife. Is it a 
a female? It would appear to be a female. You never know these days, exactly. Charles. You've got to check quite but, carefully. But this is yesterday morning. Social media exploded yesterday morning when porn star Sarah J began trending on Twitter that Barack Obama is one of her... She's got 1.1 million followers. I'm surprised it's not 3.3. <laughs> so, okay, Obama likes porn. What can we say? Yeah. Now, on the other side of the coin, I don't know if you could pull up the Andrew Gillum news. Well, certainly Andrew Gillum would never do anything that could be perceived as porn. He's an upstanding guy, isn't he, Charles? Uh, Whoops. Apparently. Wait a minute now. We just lost the screen there for some reason. Really? Yeah, no, it's just a slip of the finger. Here it is. It's coming right back. Yeah, so the police report that when it first came out on Andrew Gillum, remember Andrew Gillum was this, you know, celebrity mayor of a small town or a city in in Florida who nearly beat Ron DeSantis. He was going to win. Everyone was campaigning for him. I gather there have been whispers around this guy's interest in uh, different types of experiences. I think Laura told me a long time ago that this guy is secretly gay. Right, and so so he's found. The initial story is he was found in a hotel room with a somebody who had a meth overdose and bags of meth. That was the original story, and then the story became well, actually, one of the people who was there was a porn star performer, and then it became actually he's a gay porn star performer and a gay escort. And then it most recently has come out. I don't know if it's in this story. <laughs> it's like if, the, if, the, if yeah, it can get a, any worse. It, 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 <laughs> Found Gillum naked and Dyson wearing chaps. This this porn star escort is wearing chaps. It's a fine and it chap. gets and it gets worse. Uh, that I don't because we have a you know general audience. I don't want to get people can read this. And this don't, is news. Yeah, but well they can they can read it and it's you know basically the former candidate was vomiting in the bathroom. Wait. Why is it talking about their renting room 1107 and when he arrived at approximately 1107? That seems weird, doesn't it? It could, could actually be a typo. does seem odd. But the point here is that, and I, I mean, I really feel horrible, you know, for his family, for, uh, you know, there's no good explanation for this. I mean, he... he, he... <laughs> oh, this must be the wrong hotel room. <laughs> How did I get naked and what am I doing in these chaps? <laughs> This is definitely the wrong hotel room. And apparently it was a bunch of people in the room. It was like four people or something in the room. And he was, you know, incoherent and obviously under the influence when he was caught. This is a guy who, you know, had things move slightly differently, would have been your governor in Florida. You know, I mean, my governor, no. Somebody in Florida's (laughs) governor, maybe. But I mean, you know, I don't know. Crystal meth to me is one of those things that like... Who is there like, yeah, sure, I'll try. What could go wrong? I mean, sure. (laughs) You see, everyone's like, you tried it once, and then five weeks later, all his teeth fell out, and he was in jail and dead. So you don't have any crack? I'm good with the crystal meth. Like, what is the appeal? And then, so, and what what do these politicians think? They're like, oh, there's definitely no way this gay hooker is going to tell me (laughs) what's going on. Well, it's probably not the first time he's done this. Wow. So we have more. Three more, I think. Yeah. Which order would you like? To anyway, make? I'll take it well, on the Well, this is a good one. Yeah, yeah this was Post. a good one. I looked at this and I'm thinking, now, imagine you know, ISIS, our job, we like to cut people's heads off and sow terror. And they now have an organization 
They're putting out travel advisories. It's really pretty thoughtful of them. Don't go to Europe. You might get coronavirus. Just stay here. We're going to cut your head off if you wake up the wrong side of the bed. But don't go to Europe. You want to stay safe while you're doing jihad. Right, Charles, exactly. I mean, Very thoughtful. It's probably like a McKin- they probably brought in McKinsey to do a study. In- <laughs> John Doe is promoting the new hashtag got meth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it gives you the like milk mustache, but they could have every politician do like <laughs> meth ads like that. And then Pam is saying uh, this is to make John feel better. Uh, I'm not sure what she's talking about, but thank you guys for utilizing Super Chat on Crowdsource the Truth too. We are broadcasting to our full audience now, Charles, good. on uh, the Jason Goodman channel and on Crowdsource the Truth too. The uh, furloughed sex workers were trying to attack the larger channel, which is just further evidence that it's uh, someone who's you know obviously deliberately doing that because they're ignoring the smaller channel, which they were more interested in. Last week, we've also got this. Yeah, so this is interesting. The story came out at 138 originally today and updated at 302. I had sent you the slides right before one. Uh, so I'd seen the tweet uh, of Trump. But this you, is Caesar. Why do they show uh, that You picture? keep going down. It's Donald Trump. Look at this tweet. After destroying his life and the life of his wonderful family, the FBI, in conjunction with the Justice Department, has, quote, lost the records of General Michael Flynn. How convenient. I'm strongly considering a full pardon. There you go. But they're going to tell him he shouldn't say that because it's going to affect the judge and this. Now, why doesn't he just do it? Well, but, but my point here is, this is, I mean, come on. You're really going to try the, you know, the, the billing records? I lost them in the White House. Oh, after the statute of limitations ran, I found them again. Here they are. <laughs> now you can't get me. You know, th- this is preposterous. I mean, there comes a point where the official reaction of the FBI under Christopher Wray and the Justice Department under Bill Barr is incoherent, is the best way to say it. There's no... Well, I've seen multiple reports. I spoke to Sidney and had this confirmed that there, the FBI knew prior to January 20th, 2017, that the Steele dossier had been right. debunked and was rubbish. Yeah. Right? So actions taken by the FBI, the Obama era FBI and the Justice Department holdovers, actions taken against Flynn were taken to take him out in an effort to, to get Trump on an obstruction of justice uh, set yeah. of crimes. And, and uh, Comey bragged, remember, about he knew that when he went over to the White House that they weren't as careful as they should have been. This was a setup from day one. And as I said to Sydney, we're not in a place, as I tweeted out as well, that we're not in a place now where we just should give uh, Flynn a full pardon. We're in a place where... You've got to give every, his money back. Well, every, yeah, every single person, you can't get his life back in the right. time he lost back. Every right. single person in this project, all the Trump-hating, Clinton-loving, Obama-loving people on the Mueller team who terrorized a lot of people, not just Flynn, uh, some fairly, some not so fairly. Um, all of those people need to be poured over. Forget the mainstream press. They're never going to do it. Rely on John Solomon, rely on you and us uh, and others uh, to look at this. But we've got to go over this with a fine-tooth comb. And anybody involved in this effort, we've got to figure out when did it dry start. Dry clean it. Not dry clean it. We've oh. got to take, take these people. They need to be charged. If there's prosecutorial discretion, 
and there's a scale. They need to be, we need to send a message to eternity that you do not abuse your authority to this degree. And every last person involved yeah. in this conspiracy needs to get, you know, go to a bad prison, not, not the nice old. They have to be flattened. Yeah. And, and there has, and there has to be, you know, the full force of the law thro- thrown against them. They need to be ruined financially. Yeah. And so that nobody pay back again, Flynn. to pay back Flynn. Yeah. And pay back Flynn. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's really an astounding development. And I hope things will now move a little bit more uh, quickly. Now, I thought there was one more. I forget. There is. I just wanted to let you know that Relief is telling us via Super Chat on Crowdsource the Truth 2 that Governor Pritzker wants to close restaurants in Chicago. I don't understand. that. That's going to, without a plan to like pay the restaurants some minimum to pay their employees, how can you order businesses to close? You could do what you want. I mean, it's gonna, not going to help his... his Family chain of Pritzker well, hotel, of Hyatt hotels, or the economy of Chicago, or like what are they doing with the fifty billion that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer wanted to give to people who already didn't have jobs, rather than giving them to these restaurants? They're going to man- mandate that they close and create right. more people who don't have jobs. Right. So uh, the final thing here is that this is a I don't, I don't recognize the name, but some person who's been actively criticizing uh, Trump's pal, Mr. Chairman Xi, mm-hmm. has disappeared. Oh. A billionaire in China. Uh, oh. and, yeah, Ren Xi Kang, I guess, known as the Canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gone, apparently. What about Stimpy Xi Kang? <laughs> Ren and known Stimpy. as the Canon. Yeah. Well, anyone with the name the Canon who goes missing, any number of... Uh, right. Yeah, that's, we don't know enough about this to... Uh, make a judgment but that is interesting john doe is utilizing super chat to let us know that he was just about to go to chicago but without restaurants i don't know what you'll do there so that's what we have i think for today it's a fast-moving situation um let's hope that we uh, continue to bring our reporting to you without interruption um jason thank you so much for another fantastic poster my pleasure charles you think ditka's steakhouse is going to close Nothing. Coronavirus versus Ditka? Ditka's winning. Yeah. (laughs) And then also, I don't think, you know, have you ever been to that Mike Ditka Steakhouse? Every single thing is wrapped in bacon. Is that right? Broccoli wrapped in bacon. Is that right? Steak wrapped in bacon. (laughs) Bacon wrapped in bacon. Fry it. Bring it out here with some sour cream. Well, Charles... Uh, thank you again, John Doe. Really generous people on the Super Chat today. I appreciate it tremendously. The uh, person who keeps creating new uh, YouTube accounts under fake names to try to disrupt the show will continue to fail. It's sad that there are people who are such losers that they have nothing to do with their time but sit around here and try to dog us. One of the best things our viewers can do to counteract this uh, sort of stupid behavior is to become a sponsor of Crowdsource the Truth. What these people are trying to do, Charles, is to deplatform Crowdsource the Truth. They've publicly announced it, that that's the plans of the social engineers. Everybody knows that there are lawsuits against me, all kinds of things happening. The best way to counteract this social engineering activity is to show all these social engineers that they cannot stop crowdsource the truth. 
Become a sponsor, even if you're only enjoying the free shows like Sunday with Charles or Charles Ortel is closing in. There's many free shows all throughout the week, but there is also an entire library of sponsor-exclusive content that's available only to sponsors of the show. You can get all of that at subscribestar.com slash crowdsource the truth or patreon.com slash crowdsource the truth. The 32-bit audio pipeline is in full effect today, Charles. No clicking, no crazy stuff. So that's very promising. We've got the higher bit rate, the higher resolution. So despite the world collapsing due to coronavirus, Crowdsource the Truth is doing well and staying strong. And I hope that everybody in the audience will be safe and that their families are well, their businesses are secure, their finances are secure, and I hope we don't get put under lockdown because that would be extremely annoying. It would be. It would be. Charles, thanks for another fantastic episode. I will see everyone tomorrow. Oh, we have a very special episode of Light on Conspiracies with Ole Damagard tomorrow. Ole called me, and he lives in Spain, as many of our viewers know. He and his family are under lockdown and he's got some stories for us about people who have defied this order and what's happening to them and what is going on life under quarantine in spain that's tomorrow at 11 a.m on patreon and subscribestar so if you're not yet a sponsor don't miss that show we'll see everybody tomorrow it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.